there are great editors out there, but many of them choose to not work on YouTube. Why? Editors with experience say, this is how much I charge. Creators go, no. And then creators then go and look underneath that price bracket because there is a lot of people who have that wish to be an editor. That creates massive opportunity for predatory behavior. YouTube is still a developing industry without rules or best practices. Because we sometimes work like 14 to 20 hours some days. Jesus. YouTube is the wild list. Yeah. The film industry has had a hundred years to figure it out, and they've set those boundaries. The rate is $3,783 a week. And then if you're on the seventh day, it's double time. So what can web editors do to improve a negative work environment? The editor knows best on what their value is. If you do want to charge yourself, you're gonna underperform yourself. When you're a freelancer, you can make your own rules and stick to those when you're taking jobs. The reality is this conversation is a lot more complicated and nuanced than we can solve in one episode. We don't know the answers, but we wanted to have the conversation. Huge thank you to Stir for sponsoring this episode, but more on that later. Welcome back to uh, the podcast. We're still working on a catchphrase. So right now we're still working with the podcast. We're talking about editing. We're still figuring that one I out. I mean, you're not wrong. That's what we do. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty much what it is. <laughs> there is something that you're going to go in blind in. There is a subject matter that I want to throw you straight into the deep end. And it's going to start with a story. I love a good story. I like to browse on Reddit, which is a fantastic site. And on the editor's subreddit is where people like to express their grievances and their miserable experiences, or sometimes even great experiences as an editor, in professional and as an amateur. And it's a really great community for that. But there was this one post that I read and I went, I wonder what Jordan's opinion on this is. Oh no. <laughs> the title of this post is, I had a strange interview by the user Avalanche of Opinions. I do remote work. The city I live in doesn't have any jobs, but I saw a post on Indeed, 50 miles away. The position is on site. It's for a guy's YouTube channel. Video production and editing quality is pretty low, and I can see where I can improve the videos. So I sent in my resume, reel, website, and cover letter. And I got a call a couple of hours later. Things go well on the call. The guy asks a lot of questions about my office setup, Gigabit internet, my custom water-cooled PC with fast hardware, storage setup, studio monitors for audio, and also my monitors. I'm assuming he's asking because he's considering me as a remote editor. I let him know about my experience with YouTube and where I can help him improve. He tells me he's impressed and to come into the next day for an in-person interview. I drove the hour down and meet him outside of a shabby complex of small offices. Before going in, he tells me something like, we don't have the PC you do, but you'll have to make do since this is an on-site only job and the guy is maybe in his late 20s. I come inside and I see three laptops. At one of them is a young guy who he introduces as his editor, editing on a small MacBook. The guy then tells me, okay, I'm clocking you in, so let's get started. I didn't know I had the job, but okay. <laughs> he brings me a MacBook with a 13-inch monitor. He sits behind close to me, leaning over my shoulder, I check stats. It's an older base model, eight gigabyte of RAM, slow four core CPU. It'll work fine, especially since his videos are talking heads without effects. He sees what I'm doing and he reiterates that this is the best hardware he knows to buy. Max are for creative work and that he's been a YouTuber for four years, so he knows how editing and production is done. I ask if he has an external hard drive or if everything's internal. 
He only has one external SSD, but the other editor is using it. I load up Premiere and tell him next time I'll bring a second monitor. He tells me to step outside. I thought it was for a cigarette, not a lecture. Outside, he tells me to stop stressing. I try to reassure him, but he looks at me silently. I move to the door and he begins to make small talk about pets. I make small talk, but he tells me to stop stressing and stares at me silently again. I didn't know stop stressing meant be quiet and don't ask questions like, do you have a mouse because editing is tough with a trackpad? I mean, personally, I edit on a trackpad, but we'll have that discussion another day. <laughs> I go inside and he tells me to import a folder of footage. No discrete audio. It's shot inside of a driving car with windows down and the highlights blown out. About 15 minutes of footage of total. It should be quick. It's for a five driving tips video, he says. He's asking questions every step of the way. I ask if he's recorded audio separately. He says no, and that he always records audio professionally, which in this case means placing a cheap boom on top of his camera with the mic pointed directly out of a moving car's open window. Oh my God. Every audio engineer's nightmare right now already, especially because the waveform shows the noise is louder than the dialogue. I see he doesn't have isotope, but I can clear it up a bit in Audition. I right-click the audio, and Audition isn't installed. So I open up Creative Cloud to install Audition, and this angers him. He says, stop, what are you doing? I show him the waveform and tell him I'm going to clean the audio. He tells me, no, we don't need that. It's a waste of time. I say it will take a couple of minutes, max, but he tells me to stop. It turns out he isn't subscribed to the full CC suite so Audition isn't available anyway, so tough luck. I'm finding it difficult to use a trackpad and ask if he has a mouse. No mouses. I tell him I love my MX Master and I'll bring it next time. He says his editor never needed one. Poor guy. I add Premiere's denoise effect to try to hear the audio, and he tells me, oh, we don't need fancy effects. Do you know how many videos we do a week here? Four, and they're up to 10 minutes long. We don't need to waste time making everything perfect. I'm paying you, okay? So I pancake sequences to Paul Selects, and again, he asks what I'm doing, and I explain. He's been asking questions every 20 seconds, and so I begin narrating my editing. He tells me to stop speaking, and then continues asking questions. <laughs> He's sitting so close that his breathing is loud. I begin listening to audio and ask him whether he has speakers or headphones. Nope. I tell him it can be anything, a decent Bluetooth speaker with an aux input, just anything besides the laptop speakers. He says he doesn't need it, which explains the awful audio in all of his videos, and reiterates that it doesn't need to be perfect. Finally, I'm going to make my first cut. I use the C shortcut for the cut tool, and he asks me, what am I doing? He's upset and starts lecturing. He tells me there's a Best Buy around the corner. If I want a mouse, I can go buy one but he'll take me off the clock. And as it turns out, this video isn't for his YouTube channel. He's been selling himself as a videographer and I'm cutting for a client of his, a teenager who wants to make it big on YouTube. So he says, it doesn't need to be perfect. We make four videos a week here. It'll take too long. I know how editing works and I'm trying to build a business. I'm paying you. And if we made everything perfect, everything would take too long. I say, maybe this would be easier if I was remote. You don't have to hire a construction crew and tell them to build a house of a spare screwdriver that you have in the drawer when they already have their own tools. And he tells me, do you want to edit? Do you want to be done? 
are you done for today? I stand up. I don't look at him. I move around him and leave quietly without closing the door on the way out. He says nothing. I didn't even get to make a single cut. I was in and out in a total of maybe 10 minutes. He texts me offering $20 and I tell him to use that money for a mouse for his editor. (laughs) (laughs) He replies with something like, in a year, I'll be so rich and famous, you'll regret this forever. Oh man, that's so sad. That's a horrible tragedy of a story. What do you think actually happened here? This reminds me of a story of my very first job interview, actually. Oh, really? It's actually pretty similar. And it wasn't anywhere close to as bad as that. Like, it wasn't wasn't even bad. I was about to graduate from film school, and I was like, okay, I need a job. I got to do something. And so there's a friend of mine that was like, hey, I need an editor. They were in the fashion district in LA in a random warehouse. Mm-hmm. And they had, like, a, one editor there already, and they were working on videos for a giant family YouTuber. And I was just a chump at this point. I had nothing to my name. So I was like, shoot, these guys are making big videos. Mm. This is pretty cool. And I pull up and talked with this this guy for a minute. And they're like, are you good with working like overnight? Like sometimes we sleep here a lot. I mean, we just want to know that you're like 100% in. Because we sometimes work like, I don't know, 14 to 20 hours some days. Jesus. And we just like are really passionate for the content. We just want to make sure that you're you're all in. So they were upfront with me about that, but that really turned me off. And I was like, shoot, these guys are grinding like their lives depend on it in like a non-air conditioned warehouse. In a the non-air warehouse. Oh no. Yeah. It was not a good area. They had like a loft. It was kind of a cool vibe, but they definitely had the vibe that we're all that. Mm-hmm. And we like absolutely know what we're doing. And we're trying to just get like the young editors that are looking for anything. They were trying to take advantage of young editors. Editors are trying to figure it out. Yep. And I would say because there is a lot of people who have that wish to be an editor and they want to get their foot in the door. Yep. That creates massive opportunity for predatory behavior. Exactly. To take advantage of those aspirations. Exactly. This story is an example of that. That story is an example of that. And then on top of that, the fact that you mentioned a family channel already tells me they're missing the most ridiculous op- business opportunity for that. If they're a family channel based in America, they should have done what me and my experience of Logan Paul did, whereas he was doing his daily vlogs. He would film his day, upload it onto Google Drive, and then I would then wake up in Europe and then edit during the day. And then he then wakes up first thing in the morning, hey, here's your video ready to go because it's been eight to 10 hours. And so for them to then potentially be editing for a family channel while on the same continent or maybe in the same time zone, that is ridiculous business practice. If you want to have that efficiency, hire a remote worker. I mean, I think there's definitely not wrong ways to do it, but you guys were using the efficiency of the globe, of yeah. the literal <laughs> earth, where, you know, it's day in one spot and night in another. And yeah. so that, I mean, as far as timing wise, that's so, so efficient. But I mean, there's something to be said also about being able to communicate face-to-face because mm. if the family wanted to come in, they were also from LA, they can, mm. they can talk. And the, honestly, the people that were working at that warehouse area, they're great people. But mm. it, this story that you read from Reddit just really reminded me of where they were at in their career and their mm. business model and what they were trying to do. But they're, they're quality humans and um, I really, really appreciate them. But as far as like work-life balance and health-wise, I felt like their business model was definitely not sustainable in that way. I think this and that story shows something that I think is actually a huge issue on, uh, I would say, YouTube editors or just to say web content editors. Since this is still a developing community or developing business, 
the rules and practices and guidelines of this being a professional environment has not been written yet. Or because there's so many people who are wanting to be entering this space as soon as possible, as I said, there are predatory bosses who like to take advantage of people's aspirations. Or actually in this story's case, this is someone who thinks he's hot shit. Yep. I have a question. What was the point of this story in the context of the Reddit thread? Was it saying like, Mm. we should do more remote work? Or was it like, this is just a terrible experience that I had? I think this is a message to editors who are in the professional space to not work with YouTubers. Mm. That's a hot button topic right here. I think if a lot of YouTube creators hold their standards to be that low, but then consider themselves to be the big shit, is a massive issue especially with the majority of web content is in comparison to more traditional editors, it's still relatively basic for majority of creators. And so right now, there are opportunities for the best editors around in television to potentially start dipping their toe with YouTube creators. But those are very, very few far in between. And those who are not those do not have the money to afford those editors and also do not have the professional environment for those editors. Mm -hmm. And because YouTube or web content has now started to create a bigger demand for production quality, we are beginning to light the beacon for more professional editors to say, hey, come work with us. But we cannot right now provide them the services to ensure that they actually have a good professional experience yet. We do not, we cannot give them that luxury that traditional spaces can. I think that the traditional space has just been around for a long time. Yeah. And because of that, they've formed unions. They have Mm. lots of things in place to say, hey, this is how much we're working. This is Mm. how we protect ourselves. And YouTube is the wild west. Yeah. Like there are no rules. Yeah. You can work as long as you want. You can work as little as you want. It's You can get paid as much or as little. And it's just like, there's no protection. There's no safety net. Mm. And that's why I feel like traditional editors are wary. Mm. That's one reason. There's Mm. a lot of reasons. I think that's one reason why they're they're wary of coming over. I think one of the biggest issues that I have seen with me also being a web editor is I think deadlines. Here is hours and hours and hours of footage. Go make a video out of it and we'll check in in a week or two. And if it's done... Uh, great, if it's not done, what the fuck have you been doing? I encounter those relatively a lot, but I don't hear those types of stories in traditional media. And so what is traditional media doing that is actually having deadlines and hours, realistic hours, to ensure that uh, all the work that needs to be done is done? I can only speak to my experience. I haven't worked a whole lot in narrative. Mm. And so that's something that I would love to learn more about. I know there's IATSE and there's unions that have specific rules around that. Mm. But I've worked in the commercial space for a while. And we have what's called work back schedules. And it's like our Bible by what we stick to as Mm. far as scheduling. So we'll say, okay, like every day there's an item of what is due. Mm -hmm. And so when you break it down into small sections where you're saying, okay, this day we're ingesting footage. This day we are... Um, making an assembly. This day, we are showing a rough cut to the client. This day, we're getting feedback. And this day, we're showing the next rough cut. And we just break it down into realistic expectations. And those can move around. If I'm in the middle of an edit, I'm like, hey, it's not realistic to have mm. this rough cut done by today. They're like, okay, we'll mm. just sh- shift it a day and and we'll we'll do that. But those little check-in points Hold are on. so you important. You said something really beautiful there. You said the editors can go to the team, the team leaders and say, hey, this isn't going to get done in the time that you expect. Yeah. 
But the fact that you can say that is interesting. Yeah. I've had experiences, not personally, but with other editors where they're actually afraid to tell their creators, uh, hey, this deadline is unrealistic. That's awful. Brief me. Like if it's a long 10 minute video, are there check-in points like that where a producer or a creator is checking in on you and, and asking what you did that day, essentially? The biggest channels who have the luxury of hiring producers and quality control and people who can check on you, yes. Okay. But that is a very, very, very small pool. Outside of that, creators do not give editors that luxury. That's that's horrible. <laughs> you know, I mean, that's, it's just it's hard as an editor to be able to have expectations set, and expectations are so important. But mm. if you have expectations set and they're not met, like people are going to get mad. Mm -hmm. That's just the bottom line. I have a potentially interesting uh, theory as to why maybe let's just say deadlines might be unrealistic, or uh, editors are potentially overexerted in the demand. I think it's with TV or commercials. I'd say the budget that they probably have to work towards these schedules is probably significantly higher. Absolutely. Let's just say right now it is uh, September and all of the Christmas commercials have already been made. They're ready to go. Yep. Six months ahead of time. Yep. Whereas with YouTube, it is get this video done this week. Yep. And it doesn't matter. It has to be done this week. It comes down to the lack of preparedness and pre-production. Honestly. Interesting, yeah. Everything that doesn't get done in production or pre-production ultimately falls on post, right? Mm. And so if you're not organized and you don't have a plan, you don't have a schedule, the editors are going to feel that heat and they're going to be like, okay, shoot, I have to get this done in a week. I have to get this done in one day. Mm. And um, that's when that job gets really stressful. Some of the best jobs I've had has been when I've been given a brief, where I've been given a script, I've been given a really detailed breakdown of how they imagine this video is going to be. And yep. then I can then use this and then go, okay, this actually takes away a lot of the problem solving that I have to make. Yep. And that actually gives me huge luxury of time. Most creators, to an extent, maybe don't do enough thought in the pre-production kind of dive into production, hand it off to the editor and say, figure this out. Right, right. And then and then don't give them that time to then figure that out. Right, which is fine. You could do that. Oh, yeah. But yeah. as long as you, you have to give that time. That time is so important because you're actually taking that time that you didn't spend in mm. pre-production and you're moving it to post. Yeah. And you're writing in the edit now. You're writing in the edit, yeah. whereas you could potentially be writing in pre-production. You right. could be anticipating and building and making the preparedness. I mean, as even in times with some of my clients where it's like, hey, this is the genre of the video that we're going to create, I can make preparations. I can study on some similar films, build my own sound library because I'm having that preparedness. And yep. so I'm already investing in time yep. while they're shooting. Yep. They then give me the footage and I've already spent a day or two being prepared for it and then off I go. Yeah. I have now given myself two days because I had the opportunity to prepare. I think the biggest thing is knowing what story you wanna tell mm -hmm. and then also having style guides. I know that Ryan talked about that. He just recently talked about that. But one thing that in traditional media, lots of times you'll get a brand guide and that will have so much information about how to narrow down the creative choices that you have. Mm -hmm. So you know what font to choose, you know how it should look. Mm. If they are able to figure that out ahead of time, have that ready for an editor, that's gonna make the editor's job so much easier. I know what's going on here. <laughs> You always know what's going on here, Hayden. There has been a brief couple years where the content with me and Logan were mm. making was considered the high standard of editing or the high standard of storytelling, the high standard of entertainment, the best content on YouTube. Mm. People are asking for Logan, hey Logan, how do you get in the editing so well? How do you get it? How do you make this work so brilliantly? 
And then Logan went, oh, I just gave it to my editor. And I'm thinking because we were fortunate enough to set that high standard yeah. and the expectation and the message that me and Logan gave out informed creators that they could 100% trust their editor without giving them the information to do well. Essentially, what you told everybody is you just got to go find a Hayden Hillier Smith, <laughs> which is absolutely impossible to do. There's only one of me, but I, I'm really you, I am trying to find ways to spread out that information. Yeah. But right now, I haven't quite figured out that, that pain point, that issue. But I'm thinking creators are putting way too much responsibility on the editor to figure it out without direction. Yeah. And and I think especially with stories like this, creators also assuming that the editor is going to figure out all of their problems as well. Here's the thing. When you're an editor and you sit down to edit something, mm -hmm. you have a million choices. Yeah. And so you need to have that director or that creator, whoever is in charge of the vision of the video, mm -hmm. they need to speak into those decisions. It's very, very important. The director and editor relationship is the most sacred thing <laughs> yeah. in filmmaking. That's why editors and directors, they work together forever in feature films. That's why the same commercial editors and directors work together all the time. It's because they develop a relationship and they understand each other's creative process and how to execute the vision of the other person, ultimately the director. That's your job when you're an editor. Mm -hmm. And so if you're a creator and you're going to film something, and then you just hand it off to the editor and you're like, okay, now you're the director. That's mm. when the editor's like, okay, but you still have to sign off on this. Mm. If I was signing off on it, of course I could be the director and I could make it however I wanted and then we could be good to go. Mm. But if I have to make something that also you like, you need to tell me what you want. Mm -hmm. And so that is such an important conversation to be had, relationship to establish and grow. Otherwise it's just gonna take forever because you're gonna be bouncing ideas back and forth and it's gonna be a mess. The biggest mistake every creator can make is assuming the editor knows what's going on in their head. That's the one-liner, baby. That's the one-liners <laughs> we're talking about. It is the creator's responsibility to communicate the message. It is the creator's responsibility to not just hand it off to the editor and then just say go. It is responsibility of the creator to say, this is what needs to be done. This is yep. what I would like it to be. Here's the problems that I would, I would like you to help figure out that we can potentially collaborate on. Yep. But then also, what about the pay? The pay is a huge conversation. We could talk about this for hours. I've also been fortunate enough that Logan was able to give me a very uh, beneficial salary. And I've been very, very grateful for that. And so I'm also now in the freelance bubble. And again, fortunate enough to be working with creators who are able to afford what what is my requirement of working with them. But when you're outside of that bubble, especially showing with this story, those finances don't exist or the requirements that are necessary for the demand of work, the finances don't exist for the majority of these creators it's true. yet. It's true. And especially also with the lack of hours. The biggest issue is, is that most creators are looking down and trying to bring them up, but being a little bit of a dick about it. Yeah, it's true. And those editors do not have the experience that these creators are expecting. And so a creator should be able to be able to look up and or look across and then say, hey, here are the editors who have that quality. Hey, it's gonna be this many hours. And then the editor can go, no, I'm not doing that for that amount. And so- That's happened over and over. Both of us have had that happen a lot. It does happen a lot. And I think a lot of, it, a lot of creators seem to be having this paradox whereas they, they know the demand and how much editing is but they are not ready to accept what that costs yep and then 
The next issue is this. Editors with experience say, this is how much I charge. Creators go, no. And then creators then go and look underneath that price bracket. Other editors who are trying to get their foot in the door, who are a bit more willing to lower their price. Yep. And then that creator becomes a bit of a predatory behavior and takes advantage of that aspiration. And therefore, they then give them 20, 12-hour days with very little to no pay. And then sometimes I'm thinking the advice that I want to give for creators who are in that bracket or in that bubble is also bottom line. You will need to assume or look, how many hours did I work this day? How many hours is that? And is that below minimum wage? And if that is below minimum wage, you might have to close that door because you, you the, what it is is editors allowing creators to take advantage of their aspirations, whereas editors need to respect and love their aspirations and then say, this is what my value is and this is the proof of the value that I can bring. Yes, that's and so important. And if you want that, this is what you're going to have to pay. And if you're not going to pay, I'm sorry, but no. I love what you said about you have to know what your value is and you have to know what you're contributing to a project. You have to ask yourself... If I wasn't here, how would this happen? Mm -hmm. And then you start realizing, oh, frick, like I'm actually essentially making this video as an editor. Yeah. And so that's when you really start to understand, okay, I can command these higher prices. If I'm good at what I do, I understand my craft, I know how to story tell, I'm making good videos, like start charging what you're worth. And mm -hmm. that's what we're here to have that conversation. What is that? What are you worth? So speaking of what you're worth, something crazy just happened. To be honest, we recorded this episode a while back and we wanted to figure out what would be something that could help modernize the YouTube editor industry. And that's when Stir said hello. They have many amazing tools to help editors and creators run their businesses better. But there's one tool that pertains to this conversation the most automatic revenue splits. Stir allows creators to automatically split up their AdSense revenue with as many people as they like. Instead of editors getting paid a set rate, regardless of how the content performs, we're now taking a page out of the traditional media book in backend points, which means that that talent is gonna get a percentage of the royalties if the film does well. But now, because of Stir, the same is true in the YouTube space. Top creator editor duos are already using Stir, like Ryan Trahan with his editor Zach Levitt and Arak with his editor Mac. You can set up automatic splits for your whole channel or just for particular videos. It takes less than a minute to set up and with Stir, your team gets paid at the exact same time with total transparency. So hit the link in the description to join the platform where creators earn together. Thank you, Stir, for sponsoring this episode. Now back to the conversation. What are the best business practices in terms of finances, in terms of hours, in terms of contractual obligations that traditional media does do that we can use as an anchor of inspiration towards the next stage in the maturity of web content? I'm not super educated on this. Um, I'm not in the union. I don't know. But we did pull up a few numbers. This is what the union says. This is what IATSE says. These are 2021 IATSE numbers. What, well, hold on, but what's IATSE? So IATSE is the uh, film union, mm -hmm. essentially. Yeah. And so there's the Motion Pictures Editors Guild. The rate for a high-budget new media editor, so that's like Netflix, Hulu, a lot of streaming services, the rate is $3,783 a week, which breaks down to $756.60 per day. They have rules in place under the union to protect 
workers to protect people from working strenuous hours. They do have overtime if you work more than five days. Mm -hmm. So if you're on the sixth day, it's time and a half. Mm -hmm. And then if you're on the seventh day, it's double time. Ooh, so they actually also respect the Monday to Friday rule. Exactly. And then if you're going into the weekends, that means extra pay as well. Exactly. This actually makes me realize, I think one of the biggest issues, I think for creators looking for those quality editors, they're not providing the proper value that will attract those proper editors. Right. There was this really fascinating lesson that I had with Logan when he was looking to buy a property uh, in like the Palm Springs area. Okay. And it was a ranch that he found for a million point one dollar. And what happened to them was the realtor revealed that the originally the, the ranch was valued at 900000 And then that was bringing in those types of people who were kind of sort of had the money, but sort of didn't. Okay. Like like taking out the mortgages and whatnot. Yeah. But then literally the week that he then priced it up to a million and one dollars, the pool of people who were available to buy that house in cash were instantly available. That was my realization for me of depending on the money that you advertise up front will immediately attract different types of people. That's exactly right. And so if you are pricing your public, hey, I want to hire someone that's going to be X amount of money, that's going to give you a specific amount of people who will apply towards that job. But if you were to then advertise your job saying, hey, I want you to be a full-time editor and it's going to mean this amount, that's going to bring in those editors who are actually going to take this job opportunity a lot more seriously or are able to provide that value even better. Depending on the price you advertise will attract different types of people. The statement rings true, especially in this field, is that you get what you pay for. Yeah. If you're willing to pay the high ticket price, like you're going to get a freaking amazing editor. Mm. But that's the thing. People are always looking at their margins. They're like, okay, where can I save? Where can I save? How do I, can I spend more on the next video? And mm. how can I get an editor that will do a decent job but not absolutely kill it? Um, or they're trying to find those young guys that are super talented mm-hmm. that are just trying to get their foot in the door. And that's what everybody is looking for. And I was that guy. Yeah. And so... But then I realized real quick, I was like, okay, I'm giving y'all a great deal. The promise of, hey, we're like, especially in the story, hey, I'm going to make it big. And so the promise of success can never always be true. No. Take it that they're not going to make it big. And do not use the promise of success to be the reason why you commit. Unless you genuinely look at him and says, yeah, I can see why this will blow up. Because that's the gamble that I did take. No, it's actually not the gamble I took with Logan. When I first got the job with him, I was in between jobs because I just got fired and I went, all right, I guess I'll work with this guy for a couple months because I did need the money a little bit. And I thought, oh, I'll just do this until I find another job. So I was applying for other jobs. And it was only six months in when he got like a million subscribers within like a couple months. And I was like, oh, okay, I think I've seen the momentum here. But while I was doing that, I was still looking for other work with the assumption of I'm jump ship as soon as I can. Can I ask how much you charged when you started working with him? This was in 2017. So okay. uh, inflation and prices have changed a lot since then. Yep. So I initially started with Logan of what would have been 50,000 pounds a year. How does that translate to US dollars? At that time, that would probably be 60 to maybe 65, maybe 70 a year in dollars. When it then got to um, me and living independently or moving living independently, I did have a very good conversation with Logan. Like, hey, I'm looking to move independently. So I would like a raise. And I don't want to tell you how much that was. But he went, yeah, of course, because I'd already proven my value in that time. And he went, okay, fine, off you go. Like that is more, I'm more than happy to give you that value. And so maybe even over time, what it really should be is every six months or every month through a year, that discussion should be, hey, you've grown. 
I should grow with you. Right. Rather than being at a set rate. Right. Especially if a uh, editor has committed to you for a significant amount of time because you now have the experience to consistently provide the value that yeah. they are now expecting. That's an interesting conversation that I haven't had to have because I've mm -hmm. constantly been working with different production companies, different people. I'm just on a job to job basis mm -hmm. with people. So I can, I don't know what it's called. There's an official term for it, but you can pretty much leapfrog prices. Mm -hmm. So when I work with this person, my rate would be 500 a day and then I get a new job. So then my rate at that job would be, you know, 520 a day and I can mm -hmm. slowly leapfrog my way up. It's so much easier to do that because the next job doesn't know what your rate was before. <laughs> so they, you just slowly raise it. Or and I've, It seems like you also build up your own confidence to be able to say that's your worth. Absolutely. And you have to also know the market. Like you said too, you were in London, mm -hmm. which your rate at that point wasn't super great. Mm -hmm. um, but if you're living out in the country and you get that rate, like mm -hmm. you're sitting you're sitting nice. So there is something to be said about what's your market mm -hmm. and, what, and where are you physically located. That's not as important now because remote work's mm. way more yeah, common. That's true. Even I have had this realization myself. Another reason why I've actually wanted to have this conversation. So I was fortunate enough to be start working with a uh, European editor who's who is based in England. And I gave him the rates that I had in 2017, September 26th, 2017. And then he had the confidence and the ability to say, that's outdated information. This is what it's worth now. Yeah. And I went, you're right. Yeah. And I and I fully respected and 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 then gave him what his what is the better request. And so I think actually that was a really important moment for me to realize that is also the responsibility of the creator to really do understand what is that worth. Ask around, understand that, and also respect the editor or respect the people you're hiring. This is what I'm actually worth. And if you go below this. I'm out. I will not work with you. And so it is also responsibility of the of the creator to not have that arrogant, I know what you're worth right. and you're and you're worth that amount. How dare you go above that? No. The editor knows best on what their value is. And the, the reality is, and this is what I say to people when I talk about rates, I say it's all made up. Yeah. It's literally made up numbers. Okay. You can say whatever you want and you'll work as much as you want or as little as you want based on the number you throw out. I think there's an effect towards that. If I say, hey, I'm $100 a day, I'm mm -hmm. gonna give you $100 of work value. Yeah, yeah. If I say, hey, I'm worth, and this is just for fun, 10 grand a day, I'm gonna give you 10 grams of quality. If you can. If I can. So whoever that is. I'm not sure if I can with. provide 10 grams <laughs> worth of quality. I think it's kind of in the similar effect of, um, in the same way, you task someone, you task someone to draw a sketch in 10 seconds, yep. they're gonna give you that value. If you give them 10 minutes, they're gonna give you 10 minutes off of value. If you give them 10 hours, that gives them all of that time to make an incredible sketch. That's exactly and, what it is. And in this case, this is the exact same way. If you were to be pricing a, a large amount, it is also your responsibility to also provide that value. Yep. But because you also given yourself that value, you have an extra incentive to also provide that value. That's so good, Hayden. That is so good. So if you do undercharge yourself, you're gonna underperform yourself. You're also gonna start resenting your job. Yeah. And when you resent your job, you're not gonna perform well. If you're not enjoying who you're working with or what you're working on, you're not gonna perform well. Editing is such an artistic job that mm -hmm. it's so important that you enjoy the art that you're creating. I think what's happening here is this industry, despite its scale, is still a very much a developing industry. Yep, Wild West, baby. And we do not have the rules or best practices on how editors and creators can communicate 
and how to respect each other's uh, boundaries or, or for creators to be a little bit more open-minded in respecting the editor's value they can bring. Yep. It also looks like creators are giving the editors too much responsibility, yep. whereas this is a two-way street. Yep. And I'm thinking we can also look into and ask for ourselves to investigate more into this. What is traditional media doing with their experience of existing for almost over 100 years? What problems have they figured out that we can then begin to adopt into our industry as well? And for editors, they also do need to understand their value and provide that value as well. And I think there is something to be said too, because not the traditional media doesn't also protect rates they protect your time they protect time. time is so important yes time is way more valuable mm -hmm. than money in my opinion you only have so much of it you can make as much money as you want but you can't make time mm -hmm. you know so it's so important to protect your time protect your boundaries protect your work-life balance that is a whole mm. a whole nother can of worms i'm a little worried actually because this this podcast has implicated the potential stepping stones towards a unionization of editors. And I feel like we may have just burned many bridges with this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but, I mean, this is the thing. Unions are good, but they're also not. So when it's the Wild West, when it's a yeah. free market, you can act as your own union rep, essentially. Okay. You can yeah. say, hey, I'm not going to work weekends. Hey, I'm not going to do this. When you're a freelancer, you can make your own rules. Yeah, okay, so that is true. I think that you just have to create those rules for yourself. Go write your own union rules. Mm -hmm. Put them on a piece of paper and stick to those when you're taking jobs. And stick to and those jobs. You'll you'll protect yourself in that way. Okay, but it makes me understand a little bit better. And maybe I think we've just rebuilt those bridges a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you guys for listening. I hope editors have had a really good understanding of how to value themselves. And I'm hoping creators have a better understanding of working with their editors. So thank you guys for listening. Mm -hmm.